When I started my third year of law school, I started to think about a very important question. And that question was this. What am I going to do after I graduate from law school? I started to pray this prayer. God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I will do that. I will go there. And yet, if you really looked into my heart, the prayer probably would have been a little different. What it would have sounded like would have been a little more of a multiple choice question for God. And it would have sounded like this. God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, even if you want me to be a high-priced and famous attorney in New York, or if you want me to be a high-priced, famous attorney in L.A., wherever you want me to go, I'm willing to do that. Agendas. We all have agendas. And we've heard the term before, he has an agenda. When we hear that phrase, we has a, he, he has an agenda, we know that that's a negative thing. When I used to be, I, I, I've been many times on boards, on school boards, on church boards, deacon boards, elders. And when I've been on those, we've often had discussions of who should we bring in in addition on that board. And when we've had those discussions, one of the questions that comes up is, does that person have an agenda? Is there going to be something they're trying to accomplish? I looked online on some definitions of agenda, and I found a couple. One is an issue of great importance to a person, often kept under the radar. So something that's really important, but they're not letting you know about it. Another definition of an agenda, an objective or a set of objectives, especially one that's not pursued openly. And so that's one of the questions that would come up on a board. Does that person have an agenda? Is there something they're going to want to try to do? Because what happens is they get onto the board, and once they do, you start to hear that agenda during the meetings instead of them wanting to serve in the broadest way possible to be able to help that team. Or if you were looking at the agenda I had as I was going through the end of law school, that I wanted to be someone who was well-known, that I wanted to be someone that was making a lot of money. Well, we're going to be looking at agendas today, and as we're looking at agendas, we're going to see how our agenda can be conflicting with God's agenda for us. We're also going to be looking at agendas and how our agenda can be impacting our relationship with other people. As we do that, we're going to be considering the big idea that we have for today. We wrestle to align our agenda with God's agenda, and the result will be life-giving or it will lead to death. We wrestle to align our agenda with God's agenda. And the result will be either life-giving or it's going to lead to death. As we do that today, we're going to look at three truths about agendas that I'd like to discuss today. The first truth about agendas is this. We all have agendas. Think about the disciples as they were starting to follow Jesus. And as they started to follow him, they would bring their history and their experiences with them, just like we all do. Every good Jewish person growing up at that period of time would have understood their history. You know, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Scott talked about Assyria and how Assyria was starting to um, interfere with Israel. And part of Assyria's um, way that they would respond when they were the superpower and were working with other nations is they would take the, 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 the best and brightest and they would allow people to continue to live there in their own land. 
Well, soon after Assyria, there was another nation that took control, and that was the nation of Babylon. And you remember about two years ago, Pastor Scott preached through the book of Daniel, and that was a book that really introduced us to Babylon and what Babylon was all about. And very early in that book, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he takes the best and the brightest away. He takes all the people he can that are really important in Israel, and he takes them off to Babylon. There were a few people left behind, but most of the people that really mattered and would really make Israel run were taken away to Babylon. Babylon was the world power of that day. Well, after Babylon, we had Persia that took over, and it's a fascinating story in history of how that took place. But Persia became the new world power. And when Persia became the world power, they decided to do something different. They decided to let the people return to Israel if they wanted to go back. They would still be in control of them. They would still have to pay taxes and tributes to them. They would still have to run things in certain ways, but they were allowed to be in their own land. Well, after Persia, the next world power on the scene was Greece. And that's a time period of Alexander the Great and the things that were happening during that time. And after Greece, we have Rome. So four world powers in a row, and whether the people were taken somewhere else or whether they were allowed to be in the land, the bottom line is that for 600 years, they were under foreign captivity. Now, when you think of a period of time of 600 years and you're talking about world history, you realize that that doesn't sound like that big of a number in the, in the scheme of world history. But think of where we stand today, and if you were to look back 600 years, where we would be. That would be the year 1421. If you think back to 1421, you realize that the United States hasn't even been thought of yet, much less anything happening that's moving us forward as a nation. That would be before the time period of Martin Luther and John Calvin and the Protestant Reformation. That would be before the time of Gutenberg and the printing press. That would be before the time of the Enlightenment. 600 years of foreign captivity. And what every good Jewish person growing up in the time of Jesus would have thought is that there's going to be a Messiah coming. And someday when Messiah comes, there's going to be something enormous that he's going to do. The Messiah is going to free us from the power of Rome. He's going to free us from the power of the foreign invaders that they've had for 600 years. You know, we all have agendas. And an agenda can be a good thing. Without agendas, we wouldn't be accomplishing things in life. We wouldn't be moving forward. But the agendas become a struggle when when our agenda is different than the agenda that God has for us. Our agenda becomes an issue when we have a different agenda than someone we care about. If you're married, you know about times where you've had a different agenda than, than, than your spouse. If you have a good friend, you know about times where maybe you have a different agenda and a different direction you want to go than where your friend's going. If you've been in close work relationships, you know about times where people who are working together are going in different directions. In our relationship with God... There's times when we're walking down different paths. 
And I know we're now a little bit into the sermon and you're probably thinking, wait a minute, Chris, Pastor Scott's been preaching on when people meet Jesus, who's your person? Because um, Pastor Scott's been talking about different people who had different encounters with Jesus. And it's taken a little while for me to tell you who my person is. And the reason I haven't told you for a while is because the person that I have is Judas. I got the one who, who, when he has an encounter with Jesus, the result isn't a good one. And, and that's an alert of what's going to happen here, a spoiler alert. Um, it's not going to go well. Judas had an agenda, just like we all have an agenda. And as with Judas, we wrestle with our agendas. You know, it's interesting as I started to look through the life of Judas is there's actually very little written about him in Scripture. When you think of all the disciples, and if you were to mention who the disciples are, most people probably come up with Peter pretty quickly. They may come up with a few of the others. Judas would be pretty well known as a disciple, and yet there's very little that we hear about him. We never hear about his call. One of the first times we hear about him is when he's on the list of disciples that are listed throughout the Gospels. Here's in Matthew chapter 10, verse 2, and it says, These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. From early on, that line often appears here. Um, Judas, who often betrayed him. Well, at one point, Jesus had a lot of people following him, and the crowds were getting really, really excited about that opportunity to follow him. They're hearing fresh teaching. They're seeing miracles. They have the hope that maybe he's going to free them from Rome. And so you have these crowds following him, and sometimes in the scriptures, the phrase disciple would be used to talk about a broad group of people who are following him. Sometimes it's just talking about the twelve. In this passage we're going to see here, it's really talking about the broad crowds that are following him. And Jesus is talking to the disciples, uh, his huge crowd of people who are following him. And, And then things get a little weird because he's talking about being the bread of life. And he said a number of statements in John's gospel about I am. I am the good shepherd. Um, I am the true vine. Uh, I am the bread of life. And as he's talking about being the bread of life, he says something that's a little weird. He talks about how if you don't eat his flesh and drink his blood, you won't be able to have true life. And not having heard these phrases before, not having been in churches, which are still something that's going to exist in the future, the crowds are starting to think, man, this is tough. In fact, they say in John chapter 6, verse 60, Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? In response, Jesus realized it's hard. And he says, You know what? There's some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. Jesus gets that they're on a different agenda. They're going a different direction and they're following him because of the miracles. They're following him because of this fresh teaching, but they don't fully get who he is yet. They've got a different agenda and some of them are never going to believe. And there's going to be one who's going to betray him. And so the people hear this teaching 
And it says from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. And this is like one of the, if you're just looking at results, immediate results, this is one of the worst sermons that's ever preached. Because all of a sudden you have these people who are following him. He had big crowds. He had a lot of people listening to him. And now at this moment, a number of them stop following him. So Jesus looks at the 12 and he says, you don't want to go away too, do you? Everyone else is leaving. What about you 12? Do you want to go? And Simon Peter jumps in and answers right away. And he says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus, you have this agenda that's going this way, and maybe mine's going this way, but, but I don't know where else I would go because I've seen enough that, that I think that you have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. And Jesus replied to them, Didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. Notice this at this point. Everyone is struggling with Jesus' agenda. Many decide to walk away. And they're just saying at that moment, you know what? It's not worth the wrestle. Here's Jesus' agenda. Here's how I view things going. And where he's going, I don't know if it's worth it. But Simon Peter decides to stick around. says, I don't know where else I would go. And at this point, you know what? Judas decides to stick around also. Let me ask you this. What agenda are you wrestling with today? What agenda are you wrestling with today? You know, last week, Pastor Scott was talking about uh, a question that's often asked. If you were to die today, um, would you be in God's heaven? And he asked a follow-up question that if you don't die today, when you wake up tomorrow, will you have peace? If you don't have peace, if there's something that you're struggling with, that may give you an idea of where you may have a different agenda than the agenda God has. If you're struggling with another person, that may show an area where you have an agenda and someone else has a different agenda. What agenda are you wrestling with today? Peter decides to stick around. Judas decides to stick around. It's tough teaching for them also. But where else are they going to go? And then Judah faces, uh, Judas faces a major wrestling point. It comes in John chapter 12. And it says it's six days before the Passover, which means we're on the final week headed into the crucifixion. It's six days before the Passover, and Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for Jesus there, and Martha serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. So we have this dinner being served in Bethany. We have Lazarus there. We have Martha. We have Mary there. We have the 12 disciples. We have Jesus, and they're all gathered there for this dinner. And Mary takes a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, and she anoints Jesus' feet with it, and she wipes his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
and you know that has to be true. You've been in a room where someone just does a couple sprays of perfume. We're talking about a pound of perfume here that's been used to anoint Jesus' feet. That room would absolutely permeate with the smell of perfume. And then one of the disciples, Judas, who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And remember, a denarii is about a day's wages, so we're talking one year's salary. Why wasn't this perfume taken and sold for a year's salary and taken and given to the poor? And then John editorializes a little bit, and he said, Judas didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. See, he had his hand in the money bag. He was in charge of the money bag, and he would steal part of what was put into it. So he's saying he really doesn't care about the poor. He's upset because there's not money going in the money bag so that he could take it out. Jesus answers, and he talks about the poor, and he talks about what's about to happen to him. He says, leave her alone. She's kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. Jesus sets up this contrast here. This contrast between their view of where things might be going and where he was really going. Because in their mind, Jesus was, was, was the Messiah. He was the one who was going to free them from Rome. He was going to be the new leader of Israel. And they would have probably had cabinet positions. They would have been in key leadership roles. They would have made a lot of money. So however you look at it, there's one path of how Jesus is going to do this, and the other is a cross. And Jesus sets up these different agendas. Which way are we going to go here? And Judas is struggling with this agenda. You know what? He's not the only one struggling. In a whole different scene... A whole bunch of people are talking and they're saying, who is this Jesus? And Jesus sits down with the 12 and he says, hey, y'all here. Who do you say that I am? And Peter again responds quickly and says, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah, Jesus. He gets the answer right. But then look what happens next. Jesus in one verse describes what it's going to be like to be the Messiah. And he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, to be killed and to rise after three days. He takes them on a picture that has him going towards the cross. That's the agenda we're following. That's what it means to be Messiah. But that's not what Peter understands when he hears the word Messiah. Jesus spoke openly about his, but Peter takes him aside and he begins to rebuke him. But Jesus, turning around and looking at the disciples, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not thinking about God's concerns. You're thinking about human concerns. Peter, who seemed to be right on God's agenda, didn't understand what Messiah meant. He had an agenda of what that would look like. 
You know, as a church, we've been reading through the Gospels as we lead up to Easter, and um, I've absolutely loved doing this. Um, For myself, I already had a reading plan I was doing, so what I decided is I would listen to each day's passage while driving to work. And I've discovered that the distance of driving to work is a two-chapter commute. It takes me two chapters to get from home um, to to work. And um, if you're not reading yet with us, you don't have to start way back at the beginning. We'll be starting tomorrow back up in Luke chapter 17. You could just start there. You'll hear a little bit of Jesus teaching, then you'll get into the crucifixion and resurrection. And then before Easter, you'll be able to catch up uh, to, to go through the gospel of John together. One of the things I've loved about our reading plan, um, by the way, if you don't have this, you can get this on our website. And you can also sign up for daily devotionals. We've had different people in our church writing about um, the section of scripture that we're looking at each day. And I've absolutely loved hearing the voices of different people within our church family. Um, on the sixth day of this, this passage where Peter is told, get thee behind me, Satan, Elizabeth Heinrich wrote about it. She's a counselor in this area, a Christian counselor and a friend to Prescott Cornerstone. And she said this, the force of Jesus' words to Peter show how important the cross is to him. If Jesus never suffered and died, there would have not been a resurrection the third day and we would never know the depth of God's love for us. That here was God's agenda that was a cross and also led to a resurrection and also showed us the depth of God's love. Peter's agenda was a totally different agenda which would have led a different way. Another time, Jesus talked about his upcoming crucifixion and as it talked about to the disciples, it said they understood none of these things. The meaning of the saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what he said. And you know what's interesting? If we go to a different gospel, the gospel of Matthew, in chapter 26, we hear the same story of the anointing again, but from a different uh, voice. And it said, Jesus is in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. A woman approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. And I think this is the same from all the descriptions as the other passage. In this case, it's being poured on his head. He was probably being anointed on both his head and his feet. And then in this one, instead of just talking about Judas, it said, when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. Judas may have been the spokesperson, but it was all the disciples who were wrestling with this. It was the whole group of them. And Jesus responds the same way, saying, don't bother this woman. She's done a noble thing. You have the poor with me, but um, what she does is leading to my burial. She's prepared me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. The disciples were indignant with this as their agenda was very different than what Jesus was headed towards. You know what? We all think our agenda is aligned with God's agenda. That's our default position. Someone else, they might be going in a different direction, but my agenda is always aligned where God is. Years ago, um, Lisa and I were looking at a move, 
And we were realizing at that period of time that God was leading us into a, a new area. I had been a youth pastor for 10 years. And we were looking at a church in Milton Freewater, um, Oregon, which is on the east, um, northeast side of Oregon. To, to get to the major airport, we would have driven down and through roads that can, in the winter can be icy to get to Portland and if we were flying anywhere. And we were looking at a church there, and I was going to be the sole pastor of that church. And it really looked like we were just about to finalize things and head that direction. Um, Lisa was then um, home with our daughter, Jenna, who was about a year old. So my income was the sole income we had at that point. And, and the church that I was working at, where I was a youth pastor, um, they were looking at a new person to fill my role because they knew I was looking. It looked like everything was just going to line up well. And then Lisa, as I was preparing to um, let that church know that we'd keep moving forward in the process, um, sat down with me and said, I just need you to know something. I don't feel peace about what we're doing here. I totally understand what we're doing. I totally understand that it makes sense, but I just don't feel at peace about it. And there was something I realized at that point is that every time we had made a move, we both were fully at peace with it. And as we talked, I said, you realize that uh, we might be unemployed for a while. We have nothing else that we're looking at. She said, I understand, but I don't have peace about it. And so I let that church know that we couldn't move forward. And it was about a week later that a church on the Monterey Peninsula in California contacted us. Um, they hadn't contacted us in over a year, so they, we thought they weren't even interested. And things moved rather quickly. And on the same exact day that I started as a pastor at that church in Monterey, they started um, a new youth pastor at their church there. And God had worked it out perfectly. Throughout that next period of time, Lisa's mom went through a bout of cancer. And she was relatively close geographically to where we were in Seaside, California on the Monterey Peninsula. And because we were in that area, we were able to spend more time around her. And Lisa was able to spend more time with her mom. And both of our boys, Joshua and Caleb, were born at that time. So all three of our kids were able to spend a lot of time with um, both my parents and her parents throughout that period of time. Something we value even more um, now at that COVID time. But if you looked back at that before that, the one thing I would have been absolutely sure about with Milton Freewater and the church there is that that's where God was leading us. That was God's agenda. That's where he was taking us next. And it was only because my wife was saying, I don't have peace about this, that I was able to then align what my agenda was with God's agenda and go in the direction where he had us going next. You know, what's interesting is that up until this point, Judas has much in common with Peter. They both have an agenda. They both have an agenda that's not in line with God's agenda. And you know what's even more interesting is up until this point, Judas has much in common not only with Peter, but also with us. We don't often like to hear ourselves being aligned with someone like Judas. But at this point, he'd be struggling with his agenda just as Judas was struggling with it, as we do with ours. Well, the third thing about agendas the result of the wrestling will be life and death. We all wrestle with God on our agendas. Are we willing to align our agenda to God's agenda? 
Judas isn't willing to do that. After these incidents happen, Judas goes to the chief priest and says, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver from him. And from that time, he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. What's interesting at that point is that the rest of the disciples know someone's going to betray Jesus, but they don't say, oh yeah, that's Judas. He's the one that's been stealing. They have no clue who it is either. He just seems like a fellow traveler with him. Judas betrays him. Jesus is arrested. Judas feels guilty. And so he throws the silver into the temple, departs. Then he goes out and he hangs himself. That's not the only choice of what can happen. Peter struggled with Jesus also. He denied him three times. And after the resurrection, he then aligned himself with Jesus' agenda. Up until that point, he was struggling with it. But at that point, he aligned himself with Jesus' agenda. He became a key apostle in the book of Acts. He even wrote books of the Bible. You know, at one level... Aligning ourselves with Jesus is a matter of eternal life and death. Jesus offers a free gift of salvation. It's an act of grace. It's a free gift to us. And he sets the terms that that we um, confess that we're sinners, that, that we can't do it on our own, that we accept Jesus as our Savior. And either we align ourselves with God's plan of salvation and spend eternity with him, or we choose to go our own direction and live eternally without him. But you know what? On another level, the way we live our lives is either a life-affirming manner or a path towards death. If we're not aligned with God's agenda, if we're pointing in different directions from where he's going, we're living our second-best plans. You know, back when I was in law school and I was deciding what direction to go, I went to a Christian conference and the speaker there was talking about agendas. And he talked about how we often have an agenda with God and we give God that multiple choice answer like I was doing. Um, God, you could send me to New York to be a lawyer or Los Angeles to be a lawyer. And what that person that was a speaker there said next was something that has struck me and helped me in so many different ways. He said, instead of giving God the multiple choice answer that he can choose how about we let him give us an essay answer how about we offer him our absolute blank slate and say god whatever you want to do you may do i'll follow you no matter what direction you want me to go and you know i graduated law school and i went the direction that most people who graduate law school did i became a youth pastor and did that for the next 10 years. I was a, a sole pastor and then senior pastor for the next 12 years. And then God surprised us again when we thought we were in line with his agenda, moved us in another direction, and, and now I'm back in law and seeking to serve him in every way doing that. But it took a lot of adjusting of my agenda to match up with God's agenda in the process. You know, as we close today, I have a few next steps for you to consider The first is to pray a prayer of confession and humility. To say, God, I know I always think I'm following your agenda. I I think I'm in line with you. But I realize that I'm not. That there's many times where I'm walking a different path than where you want me to go. 
a prayer of confession and humility. Second, offer God your blank slate. God, whatever it is you want to do in my life, you may do. You get my time. Maybe you're retired and you think you had a certain idea of exactly what retirement will be. And right now you're saying, God, here's my blank slate. How do you want me to use my retirement? Or your money, which is really God's money. How do you want me to use the money that you've entrusted to me? Offer your blank slate to God with a prayer that says, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do that, God. Third, you might want to apply this to current relationships. Because there may be times when it feels like you're going in one direction, someone else is going in another direction. There's a lot of struggle there. You might want to ask the question, what's their agenda? What's my agenda here? And maybe we need to be thinking about how we can align those. Or maybe that'll help explain some of that struggle to you. You know, I saw recently, as many people throughout the world did, the interview that Oprah did with the royals that are uh, living uh, in the United States at this point. And I saw an interview she did the next day where she was asked how she approaches an interview like that. And she said that before that interview happens, she always talks to the people and says, what do you want to have come out of this? And then she'll explain what she wants to have come out of this. Really, she's saying, what's your agenda? What's my agenda? And then how can we align them together? And when we bring our agendas up from being the secret, when we figure out what they are, because we don't always know what our agenda is, then we're able to figure out as we have conflict with other people, what, what's causing this uh, problem here? What's that person's agenda? What's my agenda? How can we align these together and maybe bring about peace in the relationship with other people? We all have agendas. And we wrestle with God, with our agenda that we have. The result of that wrestling is life and death. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for people who encountered you throughout Scripture. And even though the story of Judas is absolutely tragic, we thank you that we can read about those that story throughout the pages of Scripture. Thank you for Peter who who wrestled with you and finally aligned himself with your agenda. And we pray, God, we offer you our blank slate. And we pray that we'd be aligning our agenda with yours and seeking to serve you in every way throughout our lives. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.